Hello and welcome to the new edition of Sound and Image Lab, the Dolby Institute podcast. This is a podcast about how artists use technology to tell story, and I'm your host, Glenn Kaiser. When we started this podcast back in 2014, it was really a passion project. And so uh, I'm really proud of the way the audience has grown with us, um, both audio and video professionals, students, film fans from all around the world. We've really just been so pleased with how enthusiastic all of our followers are. So we decided that in 2021, we really wanted to kind of step our game up. So please take a look for, uh, keep an eye out for some very interesting and fun announcements around the podcast over the coming months. So maybe most importantly, uh, for the listeners who enjoy this show as an audio podcast, uh, we are pleased to announce that the series now exists in its own standalone podcast feed. I want to thank the uh, intrepid producer, Michael Coleman from the Soundworks Collection, who's hosted our podcast since we began. Um, but we ask now that you subscribe to the podcast on our brand new dedicated feed, which you can find simply by searching Dolby or Dolby Institute on Apple Podcasts or iTunes or Google Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Links for those, as well as the RSS feed and the new and improved website are located in our show notes. Or if you're watching this on YouTube, it's in the description below. So this is going to be our last episode uh, on the regular Soundworks podcast feed. So please go subscribe to the new show feed right away. There you'll find this episode, as well as the archive of all 75 episodes going all the way back to the beginning. And as always, this podcast is going to be free and without any advertising. And if you're already a regular listener, if you want to start watching these bi-weekly conversations, because we do record video with all these talks, you can do so on Dolby's dedicated YouTube channel, which you can find by uh, searching Dolby over at YouTube or clicking on the link in the show notes. So as we, as we kind of relaunch the podcast, it's really appropriate uh, that we take it back to where we started. The very, very first Dolby Institute program that we presented publicly back in 2013 was at the Sundance Film Festival. And we brought in a pretty amazing group of speakers to talk about the importance of sound design for independent film. And we had Ben Burt and Randy Tom and Erica Dahl there, and we, we had a really amazing discussion. So Sundance has always been really important to us at the Dolby Institute, and they've been a great partner to us. So uh, I'm excited to relaunch our show with a conversation about Sundance and the Sundance Institute. And so uh, our guests on the show are Carrie Putnam, the CEO of the Sundance Institute, Tabitha Jackson, the brand new director of the Sundance Film Festival in her first year at the helm of the festival, and Michelle Satter, who is the founding director of the Sundance Labs at the Sundance Institute. This was, a, it was an interesting conversation because it's an interesting time for Sundance. Um, this year is the very first virtual Sundance Film Festival uh, because we can't make it to Park City this year in Utah. So, you know, when we typically think of Sundance, it's, uh, it's uh, uh, a bunch of indie filmmakers trudging up and down Main Street and their huge parkas and standing in line for movies. And so, uh, you know, we wanted to find out what's the, what's the virtual version of that going to be like and what is the experience of the Sundance Film Festival this year. So uh, we had the answers to those questions and so much more on the show this week. So let's jump right in. 
All right. Well, first of all, thank you all so much for um, joining us on the show. I know this is, uh, as we talk, we're just a few days out from the kickoff of the 2021 Sundance Film Festival. So it's a tremendously busy time for all of you. Michelle, I know you just wrapped up the Screenwriters Lab about an hour ago, which is amazing. So again, I just really wanted to thank all of you for making the time to join uh, the Dolby Institute podcast and to talk to us today. It means a lot, thank you. Thank you, thank yeah. you for having us. Well, uh, you know, I, I wanna just say it's it's at about this time that I would normally be going through the closet and pulling out my big parka and my boots <laughs> and all my cold weather gear and getting ready to go to, to Park City to, um, you know, trudge up and down Main Street in the snow and looking forward to standing in long lines and being on the shuttle bus and hearing people talk about <laughs> the amazing movies at the festival. And so obviously none of that is going to be happening this year. So Tabitha, I, I wanted to, to start with you. You're the, the, the new festival director. What does it mean to have a virtual Sundance Film Festival this year and how are you pulling that off? Well, first of all, Glenn, I want to say, you know, thanks for having us. And also, don't let the nature of the festival stop you going into your closets and picking out special outfits. That's what we'd <laughs> love everyone to be doing. Um, and what are, we talked, you know, jokingly about it's slippers rather than snow boots this year. Um, but still, what is at the heart of this festival and always will be is uh, an incredible array of um, cinematic voices uh, creators working in different storytelling forms using different technologies and the possibility of discovering new talent, new ideas, new forms. So we have 70 um, incredible new feature films, 50 shorts, an array of XR, you know, virtual reality, augmented reality um, in our new frontier space, which I'd love to talk about um, here as well. Um, but this, along with the bumping into people, the encounters, the talks and events, the dialogue around the films, um, our partners expressing in their spaces, this year all of that is happening on a specially built festival platform, um, which means that as we began planning it, um, making sure that we could go ahead with a festival no matter what, uh, it means that we have this rich expression of creativity, even in the midst of a global pandemic, you know, political unrest. We know that we can have our festival. And in addition to that, to the festival platform, we have uh, independent art house partners that we're calling satellite screens across the US who are also screening the work where it's safe to do so and who are programming, uh, engaging the community around the work of, of Sundance. So what started as a disappointment, which is, oh, we're not gonna be able to have the festival that we had wished when we looked at this in April, May, quickly turned into, wait, but we can do this thing. We can increase our reach and accessibility and we can work in partnerships in ways that we've never been able to do. So what this year's festival looks like is a whole heap of fun. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you brought up especially the concept of the satellite festivals because that was something that was immediately really captivating for me. And it seemed like, oh, you know, taking the Sundance goodness and kind of spreading it around to, I think, some really interesting independent art house cinemas in different cities is a really 
It's a great way, like to your point, you were saying, like in many ways this year is a disappointment, but it's also giving uh, a lot of opportunities to completely do something fresh and new. And I'm kind of curious, now that you're into it and very close to actually having this thing go, what do you think, I mean, I presume at you know, some point we will get back to Park City and have you know, Sundance as, we know, as we've known it, but are there innovations that are coming out of this that you think will carry on past the COVID Sundance? Yes, absolutely. And please don't call it the COVID Sundance. I don't know. <laughs> um, this unique special edition of Sundance um, is, has given us already, it's given us so many things. We now have uh, an incredible platform, screening platform, that we can use all year round to highlight the work of independent filmmakers, to convene people in discussion around. There are the, the things that we have built that didn't exist before that we now have as part of our work. Um, the, the innovation, which isn't, it's more of a value than an innovation, but being able to, for the festival, to include in those first audiences for this new work, um, people who for many reasons, financial, geographical, physical, couldn't have come to Park City, could never come to Park City, they are now part of the Sundance uh, community. And so to have this work, I think there's a real value in this too, Glenn, that the, 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 commu the Sundance community in Park City is very um, particular and specific, and we have been working over the years to make it broader and more inclusive. Nothing could compare to having this work be seen at the same time across the US from a way broader range of, of audience and a greater set of perspectives coming around this work who can then talk about it in this festival moment and propel it um, into the more broader culture and, and have it there as a talking point throughout the year. Um, that is something that I would not wish to uh, to go back from. But one of the things that makes this um, this process, even though it's hard, is also fun, is thinking that this year is a set of experiments mm -hmm. where we understand what we might wish the Sundance of the future to look like. And so some things will work brilliantly and we'll keep them, and some things won't and we'll let them go but going into that confidently with this audience and tickets are selling incredibly well. So we are gonna have a robust community of explorers with us to say, all right, what do we wanna do next time? So I don't think you, you mentioned going back to Park City. Oh yes, but going back <laughs> in exactly the same way as it was before might seem to be a lost opportunity for us. Right, right. Well, Carrie, I, I wanted to kind of just take a step back. I think, you know, even for a lot of people in the industry, when they hear Sundance, obviously they think about the film festival, but that's just one part of what the organization is and the mission of the Sundance Institute. So I, I'd love for you to kind of just open our minds a bit to what, yeah. the, what the work of the rest of the organization is. I would I would be happy to. And, and um and certainly we've been talking about the festival it is it is obviously our most visible program but what what you're you're right glenn i think people don't realize um it sits alongside the festival sits alongside and among a really wide array of programs that support artists independent artists year round um and these programs run across all 
from storytelling disciplines, from feature film to documentary to live performance, emerging media, short film, um, series, podcasts, um, film music, and more. And, and the ways in which we support artists working in these forums are, are extremely varied. You know, we provide mentorship, residential labs. Uh, you were mentioning the lab Michelle just finished fellowships, direct financial support through grants. Um, but the other thing I want to I want to emphasize is that the festival isn't separate from that. We really see the festival as an integral part of that uh, that's that mission that we're serving to elevate, support, and amplify the work of independent artists. Because of course, through the festival, this work gets launched, this work gets seen, um, and this community uh, comes together. So we really see it as a seamless whole. It's just that the festival is the part of the iceberg that's above the water, and the rest um, often isn't so much seen. And isn't it isn't it true that really that the the talent development lab was really that was the original kernel of the idea that Robert Redford well, had, and the in, reason why he went to Utah in the first in, place, right? Indeed, and we do have the perfect person sitting here in this panel <laughs> to talk about that, um, because uh, yes, and I'll, I'll just tee it up for Michelle to dive into that, but it did, the lab, uh, the first lab was held in 1981, and um, it was a, um, a bold experiment coming from the heart of an artist um, with a very clear vision and intent, and Michelle, is going is our founding director of the Sundance Labs and can talk to you a little bit about that that moment and how it's evolved. So you should you should take that one, Michelle. And it's the and it's the 40th anniversary. Is that what I just gathered? Yeah, it's the 40th anniversary. Yeah. Amazing. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I was Glenn, I was there in 1981. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it was, you know, it was spirited chaos in the best possible way. And yes, it was founded by an artist um, who wanted to bring community together um, and believed that, you know, filmmaking is a collaborative medium. And uh, we brought 12 artists together. It was, it was exciting, it was crazy, but it was a real opportunity for them to workshop the material and to learn and to be amongst incredible mentors from the industry. You know, for Bob, um, that culture of generosity is so much a part of, you know, and for me um, and for everyone now, part of the lab um, that he founded. And it's an incredible space for people to be in, to really experiment, to push the boundaries of their work, um, to learn, to move on, make those kinds of discoveries, um, feel no shame <laughs> about it, but really feel that this, is, this was the place where they could do that kind of work and, you know, and also build you know, build their tools um, and their skills as artists, as filmmakers. So right. it was a very exciting moment. Um, it, yes, now it's, we're 40, you know, 40 years later. And as you said, today we just finished a screenwriter's lab and there was so much joy um, that Sundance um, was continuing to support artists um, and, and particularly writers the foundation of, you know, of a film to support screenwriters, you know, at an earlier stage in their career, not only launch them, but again, provide a place to do that deep work um, in collaboration uh, with, with more seasoned um, artists, but it's very much, we're all in it together. And it is, you know, it is a, you know, sort of a beautiful, safe, 
inclusive space um, for, you know, for that kind of, you know, to really question, to really interrogate a script at a particular point and move it forward. And the community that, that you know, that everyone builds together is so special and so important right now, in some ways more important now than ever before. I'm sure. I just want to dive in on one thing about about that, just to kind of put a put a cap on the 40 year question and this uh, the founding vision. You know what's been so incredible for me, and I've been at Sundance only only 10 years, but um, 10 years, is that the power and the clarity and and the purity of that founding vision um, has been so strong, and it's been able to provide a through line even when our tactics of how to support artists have changed, you know, like this year, especially um, working digitally, um, but in many different ways, you know, forms have expanded, tactics have changed, the external environment has changed so much. But what's really amazing is, is how the power of that vision provides a tether for all of, all of the work we do. And there really always is a need, I think, and an urgency for stories that reflect the world around us and challenge us and inspire us. And so um, it's been great to be, tied to that vision, um, even as a newer staffer. Without a doubt. I, it, it, since it is the 40th anniversary, um, I'm kind of curious that, you know, that, that mission to develop new voices and to give them uh, uh, really a, a way to kind of enter into the film business, which is notoriously hard to break into. How has the mission changed? Or Because the industry obviously has changed radically in 40 years, but how has, how has the work of the labs and the Sundance Institute evolved to adapt to the changes in the industry? What, what Carrie um, said earlier is the, the mission, um, which was so clear and so strong, hasn't changed um, to a great extent. The core values of the Institute hasn't changed. The tactics, the work that we do to support artists in an ever-evolving ecosystem um, has to change and must change. And, you know, and that's the work that we do on an annual basis as we look forward. And how has the industry changed? What does that mean for the artists that we're supporting? Um, because we're, you know, our, our focus is um, very much on the creative, um, but our focus is also on how do we move these projects forward? How do we move these artists forward, give them the kind of visibility um, and support um, and connection to, you know, to the industry that will, you know, take them from the, in a sense, the incubator of, of Sundance into the world um, and getting made because it's so important. And now we look at, you know, where are the audiences and how are audiences consuming uh, stories right now? And what does that look like and mean for the future? And we're asking those questions, we're asking along with the, the field um, as well. Um, but it's an area that, you know, is, is of deep, not only deep interest to us, but it, it's it is part of our work going forward. The um, Michelle, the talent labs have such a um, a great reputation for finding new talent. Uh, I'm always curious to hear, you know, who are some of the major directors who have who have come through the labs and then gone on to have really great careers in our business. Um, there's been a lot of them, which I'm really proud of. And I really, you know, I, I see it. This is, you know, this is our distinct privilege to um, discover these artists and work with them. So some of them include um, Rada Blank, who has the 40-year-old version out right now, which is very exciting. Uh, Ryan Kugler, who 
at Fruitvale Station, as you know, Black Panther, uh, Carrie Fuganaga, um, who's done the new Bond film, but did this extraordinary film, Sonombre, with us, uh, Dee Ruth, Gina Prince-Bythewood, Lulu Wong, Boots Riley, Marielle Heller, Paul T. Anderson, Quentin Tarantino, uh, Darren Aronowski, uh, John Cameron Mitchell. The list is is long, um, but it is you know for you know for us um, getting you know sort of being with these artists at an early point in their career and providing them that space and that community um, to support their work going forward has been incredible. And you know what's really great is that these artists come back to Sundance. Um, they have you know, succeeded in their careers and they're coming back. They're our next group of advisors, which is so cool. At our lab um, that we just finished, Rodrigo Garcia was one of the uh, was one of the advisors. Ritesh Batra, Walter Mosley. These are all artists we supported on their first films, and now they're our advisors going forward. That's amazing. There's some great nonfiction filmmakers as well that I know Tabitha and her old hat also supported that have come through. So it's a, you know, it's such an exciting range of work. Well, I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned Rodrigo Garcia because that gives me a chance to kind of uh, tee up our program and, and our collaboration with Sundance, um, which is really important to us at the Dolby Institute, which is the Dolby Institute Fellowship. And Rodrigo Garcia, of course, was one of our very first recipients of the, of the Institute Fellowship with um, his film Last Days in the Desert. So I guess, Carrie, I'd love to just kind of ask you, like, what what... What's the role of, of corporation in the Sundance ecosystem and why is it important to have the support of a company like Dolby in terms of technology and, and, and support? I am so glad to be able to answer this question because uh, you know our partners and our sponsors are so integral to enabling um, all of the work you just heard Michelle and Tabitha talk about. Um, now, this could be as a festival sponsor uh, or as a supporter of a particular <clears throat> program. Um, extending our extending our impact in their areas of interest, but what we particularly look for, and what I feel, you know, with the Dolby Institute, we've really found, um, is partnerships that that can help us extend and enrich the support we give, and and really help us with the skills that the the companies bring or the partners bring, um, inspire new creative ideas, foster sustainable careers, bring attention to great artists. And um, for the past eight years, I think it's been eight years um, of our Dolby Institute Fellowship, it has been, um, it's been extraordinary. It's enabled us to identify and support filmmakers whose stories I think have the potential and had the potential to break new ground through innovations in sound design and sound mixing. Um, and this support in particular helps us address a challenge that independent filmmakers face, a lot of them, which is the tension between their creative ambitions and their budgetary constraints. Um, so by supporting, I think the Dolby Institute Fellowship at Sundance has supported 11 feature films in the- That's right, that's yeah, right. 11, <laughs> and some wonderful films among them. I won't, I won't pick favorites, but- um, Blind spotting, honey boy, mudbound. <laughs> um, it's it's really and and all the rest. Um, uh, Mike Cahill's film, um, but for these artists, the technologies like Dolby Atmos or Dolby Vision um, 
they often consider it beyond their reach. And so it exposes them, I think, to a whole palette of, of ways to tell their stories and, and realize their visions. Um, and it's the access to that technology, the support that, that Dolby provides um, to enhance their exhibition experiences at the festival. Um, it's just a, a freely 360 experience. And, um, and once again, it's incredibly aligned with the work we do that you've just heard all about, um, both in terms of the platform of the festival and the, the, the development of creative voices. So um, it's extraordinary. And, and we're lucky to have many, um, many corporate partnerships, many other partnerships in different ways, but the Dolby Institute's one is a, is a shining example of alignment and just want to say thank you. Well, I appreciate you saying that. I think, you know, when, when we came in and we, we created the fellowship and that that meant, you know, uh, we wanted to give filmmakers the access to that technology, especially at the time Dolby Atmos, to be able to tell a really immersive story. But then, of course, we had to figure out how, how, how will that experience happen? <laughs> and so we we had to come in and 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 kind of, uh, uh, you know, figure out how to put a Dolby Atmos system in at the Echo. Right. And I should add, the other beneficiary, of course, is the festival audiences who right. get to have this extraordinary experience and the Ray, uh, you know, to be in the theaters where you, you know, where you can actually uh, experience that kind of quality at a festival that that is, you know, put up and taken down every year in makeshift right. spaces is so extraordinary. And I think is one of the signature um, accomplishments of not just our partnership, but of our festival to provide that kind of exhibition. I, I agree with, I appreciate you saying that. And I think for me, one of the one of the moments that I was really proud of was after we put that Dolby Atmos system in first at the Eccles and and then later at the Ray, for the first few years, the only movies that were playing at Sundance and Dolby Atmos were the, the Institute Fellowship winners. <laughs> but it was about three years ago that it, other movies started showing up, indie movies in Atmos, including documentaries. And that was really one of the reasons why we really started the program with you guys in the first place was this notion of, of this is a technology that's designed to help filmmakers tell stories. And it doesn't have to be just about big budget, blockbuster, tentpole Hollywood studio films. Anybody who is taking the audience on a journey uh, is going to benefit from having access to this technology. So Totally. And I think, oh, sorry, go ahead, Tab. No, I'm sorry, Kerry, but I just, I was getting excited because it, it the the partnerships, I mean, the, the, the Dolby Fellowship is one that we have filmmakers coming to us and asking, how is it possible to have access to for the reasons we've, we've talked about and, you know, other partnerships where um, Skywalker, for example, um, enabling filmmakers. And as you say, Glenn, my, my background is in documentaries. So seeing how non-fiction filmmakers who, who often don't have two cents to rub together can learn about um, sound and the sonic landscape as a narrative device and think in another dimension around their work has been so valuable. And I think, you know, I'm I'm deeply happy that this year, Natalia Almada's film, Users, I think is a recipient of, of your connection. Yes. It's, the, it's the first documentary that we've supported. That's right. And it's that's really exciting to me because the 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 film is so cinematic. It has that operatic scale to it visually, which is now matched. Um, sonically by, you know, having having access to, to, to what you give. And I also just a side note, one of the biggest challenges, I think, about doing a festival virtually, when we think of what is that there are things that we can replicate or resonate with, and the, there are things that 
that we can't. And so at the moment, maybe this is a challenge for Dolby, the feeling of when you're watching a comedy and you hear the laughter of people around you in the theatre, how can how can we get that? We're going to we're going to miss it in a way. And equally, the sound of silence when an audience is completely gripped in a moment together. That sound does an extraordinary thing in gathering, and so um, and so it's something that we need to recognise. And maybe there will be technological. Uh, advances in enabling us to hear the, our own reactions, even in a virtual space. But um, but sound is so key around this festival. Yeah, I know the fiction film that's being supported um, is passing, uh, and it's Rebecca Hall, the actress. It's her first feature, and so exciting, and meant means so much to her because it really gave her the capability to to create the sound that the film needed and has enhanced it, you know, fivefold or even more than that in terms of the work. And just the expertise and the generosity of Dolby has been so important for, you know, for her and her team working on that film. Well, thank you for saying. The, 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 the program has been really important to us. It's been a great way to establish relationships with some new directors and, and it's, you know, it's one of those situations where every time we develop a new technology and we let it out into the world and then artists start using it and they always surprise and delight us by going in wacky directions that we never anticipated, probably never more so than the Daniels with Swiss Army Man. I forgot about that one. Oh my yeah. God. Uh, Fantastic. So Michelle, I, I, I did want to, I've got a question for you. I'm, I'm just really curious, because um, I think a lot of people are, are, are would love to know what kind of projects are you looking for uh, when you invite things to come into the labs? What, uh, uh, what, what, um, uh, you know, what, what is a successful uh, Sundance Institute lab project? Um. Great question, um, and, and by, by the films that I talked about earlier that we've supported, I think they in some ways define that. So it's independent voice, uh, bold and original ideas, um, stories that push boundaries, um, diverse voices and perspectives, very important to us right now, complex character-driven stories with humanity um, and many with urgency. Um, you know, stories that, that not only bear witness, um, but reflect the world we live in, but can rewrite um, the future that we want to live in. Those are the stories that we're interested in right now. Fantastic. Uh, Tabitha, I got a question for you. Uh, you know, obviously this is your first year. It feels like just a few months ago. It's uh, my whole sense of time in, in this era, it just doesn't make any sense anymore. But it doesn't feel like that long ago that we were sort of fetting John Cooper and saying, you know, so long as he transitioned uh, out from uh, running the festival. But, uh, you know, you, you picked kind of a crazy year to step in and run the Sundance Film Festival. Uh, I, I guess my, my, my question for you is like, at what moment did you know, oh my gosh, this is going to be so much harder than I ever thought it was going to be? To be clear, I did not pick the year. Had I been picking the year, it may not have been this year. Um, <laughs> There, there was never, um, you know, it's a funny thing. I had, it was such, um, uh, and I mean this genuinely, it was such a privilege to be trusted with this incredible thing that is the festival. 
um, with all it, it means for audiences and for filmmakers and for the Institute. It was an incredible thing to be trusted with it. And so I um, approached it after I was getting over the shock of being offered it, approached it like, okay, like holding this, this precious vessel and it's like, I must not break it. I'm gonna carry it with two hands. I must not break it. The pandemic hit and it was clear that, oh, I've got to break it. I've got to break it into pieces so that we can rebuild something to meet the moment. And so it was a liberating thing. I mean, being director of this festival would always be the hardest thing that I'd ever done. And so at least in this scenario, putting the, the loss and the difficult situations in which uh, we are doing this, putting that to one side for a moment, there was something freeing about thinking, everyone understands what, why we are trying to do this thing. And my role is to uh, articulate a clear vision based in our values and purpose, um, make it okay for us to fail and really trust, it's not just even trusting the process because there wasn't a process for this festival, trusting the people who love this festival, which are the artists, the industry, the audiences, and of course the people who have put it on for the last almost 40 years and just trust us to get there. So we did that scenario planning of what might be the conditions into which the festival is, is, is launched. And then we're just going for it and we are surfing. You know, we thought the pandemic was the thing that we needed to navigate. We realized that the uprising around racial justice was something we absolutely had to just not even navigate. We had to metabolize, incorporate, uh, think about everything um, through a lens that had been made so much clearer in that moment. Um, and then we and then there was a second wave of the pandemic. And now there is this. Um, uh, assault on democracy and the things that we thought were unassailable. Um, and then we will be coming through the inauguration and out the other side into that. The thing that enables us to go forward with confidence and also humility is our commitment to the independent voice and the, the meaning and importance of that in this moment. So the film festival isn't a distraction and a frivolity somewhere over there. It's a community gathering together to make meaning, to take comfort in each other, to recognize what is human and shared about each other, and also to recognize and value our differences. And that um, respect of different perspectives uh, is kind of embodied in the shape of the festival, that people will be seeing this work from different places, not all in the same theatre in Park City, but from wherever they find themselves. And um, that to me is an extraordinary value. So yes, it's hard, but boy, is it worth it. That was beautifully said, um, just amazing. I'm curious, you know, given what you were just talking about with the pandemic and uh, the, you know, the racial justice movement, what's happening politically, how is that showing up in the programming that that you saw of the films that you saw? I'm sure it is, but how is it showing up in the programming for the films that you that you're seeing coming in for the festival this year? 
Well, we, um, the programming process, um, so there's a team of screeners and programmers, and we, at the beginning of, of, uh, of the year, when we opened the submissions in, whenever it was, again, the before times, um, uh, we actually didn't know if it, if it was going to be feast or famine. Production had already stopped. Conditions for doing anything were in, impossibly difficult. It would have been presumptuous that th to think that filmmakers could get their films done uh, in time for our festival. But nevertheless, should they be able to, we were going to be ready for them. Well, it turned out to be this year a feast of films. There is still work that has been delayed and may not have seen the light of day. And artists who just simply couldn't make the work. Maybe they were on the on the front lines. Maybe they were sick from COVID. Maybe they were dealing with that. But the work that we did get, and our submission numbers were remarkably similar to previous years, was still of a quality of previous years. And so what we saw, and I think it's interesting to contemplate that we may be the first festival um, that can really show a breadth of work made during the pandemic, uh, that the kind of COVID creativity is there for people to see. We have in the festival films that address the pandemic head on, like um, Nanfu Wong's In the Same Breath, She's a remarkable Chinese filmmaker, um, uh, you know, tenacious um, in her interrogation and somewhat uh, not fearless, but brave in her interrogation of um, uh, of the Chinese government, how they handled COVID, but also laser focused on how the US government handled it. Uh, so that film takes the pandemic um, as its subject matter. It's the heart of it. It could only have been made during the pandemic. Other films um, uh, are made during the pandemic. And so you see it, you're aware of it in the distance between the cast and how the form and style of the film, there is something about it which is unique to this moment. And then interesting, there are films that were made before the pandemic was ever contemplated or felt which somehow are almost prophetic in speaking to it. Films in our in our world dramatic competition like um, Pink Cloud, The Pink Cloud or The Dog Who Wouldn't Be Quiet, which posit that there is something out there that is invisible and can kill us and so we have to stay in. And what happens when we're all staying in is like, it, you know, this thing that was a was an alternate world is now a documentary and it's, it's so in that sense, um, when we think about the pandemic, there is definitely work that's in there. And that's very interesting this year. When we think about um, uh, racial injustice, this is not a new topic. People, filmmakers have been making work on this um, for as long as cinema has been around. And that's so right. to think that we would be seeing something um, special and unique this year is in a way to misunderstand what has been happening all the way through cinema and through particularly American US society. Um, but it's there um, and it is expressed um, very powerfully across the program. Um, and then, you know, I think the other thing to say is what we like to do is to follow the artists and to understand what they have noticed, what they have seen and how they have expressed it in the ways that Michelle talked about, um, a distinctive vision, a sense that only they could have made this work. And yes, something that feels resonant with the times, but um, you know, as I've implied, when the film is made, doesn't necessarily give it the same meaning and resonance 
as when it meets its first audience. And so these, this work that we've seen, it will all mean something specific to this moment because of when and how we are watching it. So, um, so it's been really interesting. The program is tighter this year. We have um, designed the festival to try and make sure that it is a festival. It has a festival's energy. There are things happening at particular times and if you miss them, you miss them. Um, having said that, we've also managed to kind of have our cake and eat it by incorporating a catch-up window. So if you miss it, you haven't missed it forever if you get into that into that second screening window. Um, but also things are happening at the same time and there's a buzz and an energy. But so we wanted to keep the program tighter, you know, just over 70 features, 50 shorts, as opposed to maybe 116, 120 features last time. And we've compacted it into seven days. So the hope is that once you have selected your outfits, Glenn, from the closet, <laughs> put time aside with the people who are in your pod and safe to really engage and have your best speakers up and your best screening environment so that you can just see this work and understand, even though that you may be confined to, and we are all confined to our own safe spaces, this festival can take you around the world and introduce you to people you would never have met, taken you to places you can no longer um, get to and understand what this existence is and how we are all grappling with it together. So I can't, now I just can't wait for it to start because <laughs> I want to know what audience will think of it. Well, we did get to see a few films uh, when we were looking at projects for the so for the fellowship, and so uh, I'm we were blown away, and I'm I'm really thrilled uh, to see what the reaction is to some of the films that you guys are going to start rolling out very shortly. That's fantastic, Glenn. Can I just talk about New Frontier for a second while I'm all excited about? Films? Absolutely, absolutely. Please do. So, New Frontier is has always been a space. It's a space uh, where art and technology and artistry meets and it's been an exhibition space at the festival that has always been so popular and difficult to get into. Um, this year, as we talked about the importance of different perspectives coming together and this, this key point, which is often the meaning is made from where you are seeing something from, not simply where what you are looking at, and so I've been talking about telescopes and Shari Frilo, who's the chief curator of the New Frontier exhibition space, built an entirely new virtual experience, immersive experience, which is a platform that is, she's built in space, situated next to the International Space Station. And you can get there through the click of a button. And in there, it's a th three spaces, the gallery space for this incredible new work that we're showcasing this year as part of New Frontier, a social space, which is using proximity audio, webcam and avatars, which means instead of being on the shuttle bus to talk about the films after their screenings, you through your laptop or through VR can go into the New Frontier space and bump into people and come across people and talk about films. And then thirdly, because that wasn't cool enough, she's built a whole cinema in this VR space. You do need a VR headset for that. So you can go in and have a big screen experience and Users is one of the films that will be showing in that cinema house. And so New Frontier, we think of Sundance as being a space for imaginative possibility. The New Frontier space this year just knocks it out of the park and is almost a prototype for what a festival might look like um, in the future using all this. So it's just, it's so 
it's so exciting. That's great. I'm I'm really thrilled to hear you say that, especially because I think one of the things that I was really curious about is, you know, that's that that ability to connect with other people and to talk about films. That that's one of the things I was really kind of thinking that I would be missing this year. So I'm I'm glad that there's a little taste of that baked in um, uh, to to the uh, to the new frontier space. I do. I I, I often have felt sometimes like there's a little bit of a tension, especially with the festival, because obviously, you know, independent film money is the lifeblood of that ecosystem. And there's obviously a huge marketplace that has kind of sprouted up over the years around the Sundance Film Festival. It's a huge, you know, a, a very important place in the ecosystem for producers to take their films and sell them. And I've often kind of felt like there's a little bit of an ambivalent relationship between the festival and this sort of ad hoc marketplace that's that's cropped up. And of course that marketplace has changed over time. It was it was the Miramaxes previously and then it was this, you know, some of the streaming companies. Can you talk a little bit about that relationship of that ecosystem and 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 do you how do you navigate that? Do you kind of tie to try to tamp it down or because obviously it's tremendously important to your filmmakers. Yeah, I, I think that's that's it. That's at the heart of it. That the um, the marketplace you can describe the marketplace in a different way and and call it the ecosystem. And the ecosystem is the lifeblood. It's the it's the um, environment in which we are all uh, situated. And so we need the, the the one of the things the festival is there for to do is to amplify um the new talent and artistry that is coming through every year that may otherwise have been overlooked and may have been overlooked by you know a for-profit uh model of entertainment so it's our role to say look at this you may have missed this this is incredible this person is incredible this is a new thing that we are seeing come and see it's a festival of discovery and you know, in addition to more than half the program this year being first-time filmmakers, um, uh, we have this uh, this incredible richness of work that we want to get to audiences. And the distribution mechanisms, um, the the systems that allow films to be bought and sold because they are taking them to audiences uh, on a much greater level than we could achieve are. That is absolutely key for us. Um, the thing that we want to keep a focus on, though, is the the independent voice. And yes, in one sense, money is the lifeblood of it. But independent work is more about, for me at least, more about um, a mindset. It's as Michelle said, it's a it's a collaborative endeavor. But there is a distinct vision at the heart of that which uh, has a value whether or not it is seen as instantly commodifiable. So the industry that has gathered around this independent work is absolutely vital. Our role is ensuring that we keep the balance right. So this year we have many more titles that are still for sale than we perhaps have in, in recent years, which is certainly partly a function of the pandemic, but also a wish on our part to keep lifting up this work that may have been looked to keep um, uh, bringing in voices that have previously been held to the margins um, and bring them into a much more uh, visible space. Um, but we can't do that on our own and wouldn't wish to. This is a this is a joint endeavor. So it's striking the balance 
Um, Kerry, how would you, what, what are your thoughts on that? I think you've said it, I think you've said it beautifully. I think um, I've been coming to Sundance since, to the festival since 1991. Um, and I came before I worked at Sundance as a, uh, somebody who is working in film and television, meeting new talent, meeting projects. I don't, I don't think it's a question of of tension as much, Glenn, as it is, as is everyone has their roles, and 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 what Tabitha just defined is so important, which is the curation, the creative choices that the program teams at Sundance make. They need to be, it needs to be about the work itself, not about what the work can perform commercially in the world, and and then the industry can come in and the press can come in and and can help figure out how to, how to understanding what a work is setting out to do and what its possibilities are, how to help it realize those. And so for, for us and, and working here now, I think it's, it's actually a huge symbiosis. It's a hugely important part. I, I don't feel tension. I feel gratitude for the people that come and, and, and care about what it is we're programming. And I know on behalf of the filmmakers, huge excitement when they have a chance to know that a film that started you know, as a germ of idea uh, birthed very independently is going to reach so wide. So I feel, I feel it's a, it's an integral part of the Discovery Festival. And I'm really proud that Sundance among, among all of the festivals um, has, has some of the strongest track record of talent discovery and acquisitions. It's not why we do it, but I think it's a really great outcome um, for us. Yeah. I just want to add that it, it really makes me think about sustaining artists, which is such an important thing for, for the Institute to be doing. Um, you know, and it, it lives alongside discovery of and launching new artists, but how, how does, you know, looking at an artist's career and the artist, you know, an artist's journey, and we wanna be a partner to artists as they continue to work um, and continue to connect and engage audiences, so important. We need the industry. <laughs> to be a part of part of that equation, and, and I, I feel like you, as an organization, you have really been uh, very um, forward thinking. Sundance really was the first festival that I was aware of that really embraced the streaming uh, platforms as partners and opened up a, an episodic sidebar. So I, I'm really curious. I, I know we're 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 coming at the end of our time, but I do have one question, one last question that I want to pose, really for all of you, which is. What does Sundance and the Sundance Institute look like in five years or 10 years? Who wants to grab that one? <laughs> I, I, uh, okay, I reserve the right not to have to predict more than a week in advance. Given <laughs> that is a very fair point, a very fair point. But we know that our commitment to independent artistry, to freedom of creative expression, to diversity of voices remains unwavering and certainly will remain unwavering in five years. How we go about that, what the context is, what the conditions are uh, in which we support artists and audiences, I have no idea. And I think we have to remain open. Um, uh, that's the only way we can get through these times, I think, is to remain open and flexible, not to have a grand plan. I'm learning that. Well, uh, maybe the grand plan is also listening to the artists and curiosity and, intent and I think what Tabitha just said echoes what I what I was talking about and Michelle was talking about really early that that clarity of purpose enables us to um, modulate and change how we how we go after it but um, it, it does tether us there's a couple things though 
I would also underline that I think Tabitha also hit on earlier. I think the idea, what we've learned, and Michelle has, has with some incredible colleagues, built a program um, that takes some of our lab um, and artist community online called Sundance Collab. What we've learned from having the ability to um, scale our community through digital means um, while keeping it, keeping the sort of um, integrity of, of intent behind it has been so exciting. And I think the pandemic, you know, with all of its um, obvious downsides has opened up an opportunity to have um, a much more continuous dialogue with a community of artists and now with the festival platform with audiences. And I'm hoping that's gonna um, shift something for us in terms of access and community building that we can really build on. Again, I don't know what that looks like, but I feel that there's some seeds that have been planted in the adversity of this year that are going to um, bear really exciting and surprising fruit in the future. So, yeah, and I I know that we get to um, Sundance collab with the Dolby Institute gets to do. We're going to do a a masterclass in June. That's right. Uh, on film music. So I'm really excited about that. And um, and I know Peter Golub is is as well going forward. Um, but you know, it's it's exciting to be, you know, to to be an organization um, who listens, interested in, you know, and excited by partnerships because we're we're not at it, we're not doing oh the wind is blowing here. <laughs> <We're not laughs> it's, the, it's the El Nina hitting you I in the yeah. here we go. Um, you know, we're not at this alone. This is, you know, we need to, you know, the the change that's coming, you know, that's a coming and has been and always has been, um, is is something that we we have to be very aware of, listen to, um, but also follow the artist. I think that's such, you know, what, what Tabitha said earlier, and I believe in that as, as well. Artists are unstoppable. Um, and storytelling has power um, beyond, you know, words. And, I, you know, and I would, I would also say, and we've, you know, as witnessing this over these last years, is that, you know, that words matter, voices matter, stories matter. Um, and, you know, one of the important things that we're doing is, is making sure um, that all voices are heard and seen. And that's a big part of, you know, you know, kind of a stake in the ground for Sundance's work going forward. Well, I think that's probably a perfect way to wrap it out. Um, I really appreciate it. And I, I appreciate you giving the shout out to and, and, and acknowledging uh, Collab as well, a hugely important program. Um, I got my first taste of it last summer. We did a little program on Collab with uh, Ben Zeitlin and Alma Harrell talking about their films and looking forward, Michelle, mm -hmm. to doing come back, coming back this summer, as you say, and, yeah. and doing a sound design and music uh, masterclass. So I, I, I know it's a crazy busy time. I really can't thank the three of you enough for making the time to join us on the Dolby Institute podcast. Mm -hmm. Michelle, Carrie, Tabitha, great. Good luck with the festival. I can't wait to sit down at my, you know, I'm going to get my park and sit in my living room and watch the film. <laughs> Thank you, Glenn. It's it's great to see you and see you on the virtual mountain. Yeah, Absolutely. thank you so much, Glenn. Yeah. Until we can all get together again. Thank you yeah, so thank much. Thank you. Well, again, I'd like to thank Carrie Putnam, Tabitha Jackson, Michelle Satter for joining us on the show today. If you'd like to attend the virtual Sundance Film Festival this year, links for everything that we discussed are in the show notes, and you don't even need a plane ticket or a winter coat. 
If you enjoy the series, please consider leaving us a rating or review on iTunes or on the uh, Apple or Google podcast apps. It really helps raise awareness for the series and helps us continue to grow. And once again, I'll ask you to go subscribe to our uh, new dedicated podcast feed, which you can find via the links in the show notes. And you will not want to miss our next episode. I'm really excited. We're going to have David Fincher on the show. And he is going to be joined in conversation with his longtime sound design collaborator, Ren Kleiss. We're going to be talking about Mank. Uh, it's, it's an incredible conversation with David and Ren, and you do not want to miss it. So please subscribe to the podcast now. We'll see you again next week. Until then, thank you for joining us. This is the Dolby Institute podcast, uh, and I'm your host, Glenn Kaiser. Uh, the producer and editor of the show is Michael Coleman. Our executive producers are Amanda Schneider and Jack Ferry. Copywriting from Fayette Fox. Production support by Taylor Hines. And our Dolby Institute uh, intern is Tristan Henriquez. Thank you for listening.